I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Is it just me, or does it seem like all of our ears are getting wider from wearing these things? Grace and peace to all of you. I'm delighted to be here today on this Sunday after Easter, often called Low Sunday, or uh, White Sunday, or even Thomas Sunday as this Sunday always gives us this gospel text. In the early church, many adult converts to the Christian religion were baptized at the Easter Vigil, the service right after Easter. And after their baptisms, the priests or his assistants dressed them in long white robes. And these robes symbolized their joy and their new membership in the Christian church. And in the week following Easter, They returned to the church daily for further instruction in the faith, in Christian doctrine and ceremony. They wore their white robes during these church visits. And on the Sunday after Easter, they appeared in the church dressed in these white robes for the last time. And after the close of the service, they returned the robes and they began their ministry. They were as ordinary members of the congregation, and hence the name White Sunday. Now, usually this Sunday is a day when you count on very simple service, often with a guest speaker, minimal music, and an absence of the regulars leading the service, because the choir and the regular musicians and the clergy all need a break after a full Lenten and Easter order of services. We are fortunate this morning. Perhaps today is called Low Sunday as well, because attendance is often low, along with our energy level. It feels like the morning after any special occasion, the week after a wedding or a funeral, a birth, a graduation, any kind of celebration. And in this case, the followers of Jesus, it is for the followers of Jesus, it is the week after a death and now a rumored resurrection. However, for us in this COVID and preoccupied with war world, it doesn't feel like a regular low Sunday. Emotions, isolation, fears, anxieties surround all of us as we too are weary of being locked down in our houses, preoccupied with a war that the whole world is engaged in, and fearful of emerging into the necessities of society, what we used to call the ordinary life. And we ask, what now? When and how will this end? It feels like things will never be the same. And yet, how are they different? And somehow we know that it's still too soon to tell, although there are lots of opinions and competing voices out there. And we have to ask ourselves, is freedom just getting back to normal? Yes, last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. However, this Sunday we realize that in many ways it still feels like the Saturday before Easter. Something has died and is is dying, and it's taunting us with overwhelming anxiety and fear. And so like these disciples in John, followers of Jesus, not just the Twelve, we wake up each day shaken by the headlines, looking for more information and clarity, 
knowing something big is happening, but filled with fear, filled with way more anxieties than hallelujahs. Now what? And I think this is how the followers of Jesus were feeling as well. Now what? Or how long? And it is in this tension that the resurrected Christ enters their space, the disciples' space, and enters our space. And what he says is, peace be with you. No claim of victory. No plans for resuming normal life. No arguments about mandates. Not even an explanation. No blaming of Romans, Jews, or religious leaders. All things that are swirling around in their minds and hearts. He looks them in the mind and heart and says, Peace be with you. Strange. Look at whomever is sitting there with you today, if you're comfortable, or even if you're not, and look at them and say, Peace be with you. Or if you're home alone this morning, say it to yourself. It feels a little awkward, doesn't it? And yet peace is what we are all longing for. Saint Seraphim, a Roman Catholic and Russian Orthodox, a, Russian, or a Roman Catholic saint and a Russian Orthodox priest, said that if the world finds someone who has found peace, thousands will be saved. And Jesus tells them, this is the message the Father has sent me to deliver. And this is the message I'm sending you out to deliver. Shalom. Peace be with you. And seeing him, they rejoiced. They literally became glad. And like us, glad to be together, especially in these strange and conflicted circumstances. Then Jesus does something very strange. He breathes on them. He blows air at them. Not a COVID thing to do. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is what invites them to breathe, to take it all in, and results in the disciples we see in our text, men and women of gentle boldness, offering the world a peace that passes understanding, that transcends political and cultural trappings, without denying those trappings, without looking for a scapegoat or conspiracy theory to blame on for all our apprehensions and fears. This is a NATO with every country a member so that there are no longer any enemies. This is a peaceful kingdom. This is a transcendent longing, and it is the longing of the Spirit, the longing of God, the longing of the Christ. Have you ever blown into a baby's face? When you do, it feels like they stop breathing. However, they actually do the opposite. They take a deeper breath as norm from normal and hold it. And that's the sense here. Christ blows on them and they are suddenly aware of his presence and take a deep breath and hold it. This is an aha moment. This is an echo of God breathing into the forms that became living souls in the Garden of Eden. That first big gulp, gulp of living, breathing divinity. The breath that awakens in us 
the God whose image we are created in. And then the Christ makes a statement that echoes the blasphemy that he was charged with and that led to his execution. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This isn't granting them the power to forgive sins. The Pharisees were right. Only God can forgive sins. This is the consequence of offering peace to anyone and everyone. Hard to do if you're holding something against them. This forgiveness is about offering peace and receiving peace in our individual and in our collective relationships. It's a forgiveness that builds relational connection regardless of ideological difference. This is a parallel statement to the scripture in Romans 12. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The words for forgiveness is linked to binding, tying up, and unbinding, to retain and to remit. And when you offer someone peace, no matter what the situation, you and they are potentially freed up, unbound, unpreoccupied. And if you don't, the tension between you will remain. And now we finally get to the story of Doubting Thomas, forever blamed for having trust issues. We never talk about denying Peter or runaway Mark. Why this Doubting Thomas thing? And actually, of all the disciples, frankly, he's my hero. He didn't doubt any more than the rest of them. All he did is decided he wanted to be alone when everything came to a head. And I think this was a sacred detachment. He didn't want to sit around and hear all the theories and conspiracies and discussions that came out of the collective confusion and the fear of many other followers of Jesus. He wanted to be alone with his grief. Like now, there was a lot to cry about. But eventually, he was ready to re-engage. I get that. Sometimes all the conjecture and rationalizations and blaming and theorizing is just too much. And I want to switch off all the news that is swirling around and just stare into the abyss of my own mind and heart, hoping for a clarity that very seldom comes. And in those times, I certainly don't want to be told how to feel and think. But I do have a longing for peace. And the other disciples, frankly, went through the same thing and doubts as Thomas, not believing Mary, stewing on their own fear and confusion, even if they did it as a group. And now they come with a definitive conclusion to Thomas, trying to convince him of what they now know. They want Thomas to join them in their rightness. They forgot to come to him and say what they had just experienced. Peace be with you. Instead, they try to talk him out of his confusion, grief. The same confusion, fear, and grief they were suffering a week ago. And naturally, he resists. I would have too. Don't try and talk me out of my feelings. But when you accept as a simple fact that I do feel what I feel, no matter how irrational, then I can quit trying to convince you and go about the business of understanding what's behind my feelings, 
or above my feelings, perhaps this longing for peace. And so Thomas says, here's what I'm feeling. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. He's looking for peace. They're hitting him over the head with truth. And a week passes and the same thing happens to him as happened to the disciples a week before. Now Thomas is there. And again, Jesus' presence is suddenly in their company. But he doesn't bombard Thomas or the disciples with truth or evidence. Again, he says, peace be with you. And only after this invocation of peace does he gently walk up to Thomas, just like he did to the disciples, and says, check it out. Don't doubt. Believe. And I notice there is no necessity of Jesus to breathe on Thomas. Thomas takes it all in in one big gulp and exclaims, my Lord, my God. This is ultimate trust. Henri Nouwen tells a delightful story of before he became a priest, he decided he wanted to join the circus. And he wanted to be a performer, and his heroes in the circus were uh, a trapeze group called the Flying Rodleys, and they were his favorites. And he would watch them, and he would just be amazed at the things that they would do. And he went up to the person that was called the flyer, who got all the applause and all the clap, and talked to him, and, how do you do that? How do you flip around and catch the hands of the catcher? Uh, that's just amazing. And he says, that's, what I, that's not what I do. If I try to catch the catcher, I miss every time. I have to let the catcher catch me. That's what Thomas did. With all of his doubt and uncertainty, instead of trying to rationalize and figure it out, he heard those words of peace, and he let the catcher catch him. Perhaps there's another possibility. Thomas doesn't want to see Jesus' face. He wants to see and touch the wounds the places where Jesus was hurt. If Jesus can survive those hurts, maybe I can survive my hurts. This isn't a call for physical evidence of the resurrection. This is a call for existential and experiential proof of the resurrection and what it means for him and for each of us. Jesus was killed, damaged beyond human repair, the same breathlessness that all of us fear the most. And yet Jesus' death and resurrection as the Christ holds all the woundedness we experience in this life and carries it with him into his life in God. Jesus' new life in God is integrally connected with his incarnate life on earth. And this means that life here on earth is much more than just a passing illusion, something to endure until we face our life with God. We are invited peacefully to find our life in God now, in union with Christ. Let the catcher catch you now. Einstein asked, is it a benevolent universe or not? And our faith asks us to believe that ultimately it is a benevolent universe, regardless of what our experience at the moment is. Many of us have never believed or heard this before. 
many of us are tempted to believe that the universe is a competitive contest in which God is testing us, or we were taught up or brought up in a form of faith that told us God is testing us. Help me understand. How is a God who is always testing me also a God of love? And so I want to suggest that doubt is one of the effective, necessary ways to deal with suffering, especially if we define suffering as the experience of not being in control, of holding life tentatively. It always invites me to ask myself, my world, and my God questions, but it also invites me not to just ideologically ask those questions, but to live in them. And living in them always invites me to a life of prayer and mindfulness, the entranceway to peace. And the more we practice awareness or mindfulness, the more peaceful our life becomes. Happiness will always be fleeting until we stop perceiving everything as good or bad and learn how to better accept that which we cannot control or change. And so we live with a sense of good uncertainty a sense of maybe. There's a favorite story of mine which I've told before, a Taoist story. It's about a farmer whose horse ran away and the neighbors said to him, such bad fortune. And the farmer said, maybe. And the next morning the horse returned, bringing three more wild horses. Well, what great fortune, the neighbors said. Maybe, the farmer replied. The following day the farmer's son tried to ride an untamed horse, and he was thrown off and broke his leg. And the son will forever limp, the neighbor said. What terrible fortune. Maybe, the farmer said. The next morning, the army came by to draft all able-bodied men. And seeing his son limp, they passed him by, and the neighbors congratulated the farmer. What wonderful fortune. And the farmer said, maybe. One opportunity passes by us and another one appears. And this is the invitation of doubt, the blessing of doubt. It brings the question of maybe to all of life instead of getting over-involved in defining the good and the bad. Doubt plays together with faith. It's an invitation to live the questions, to live in paradox, to live with the maybes while you hope for the blessings of hindsight often a blessing that is hard to receive. Might doubt help us manage the tension between the pride of being right and the despair in being wrong, allowing us to hold it all and trust that by and by we will understand, always living this life with a maybe. And any time you're able to turn your doubt, questions, and fears here to this community, May you always first be greeted with the words, Peace be with you. Shalom. Inviting you to live all your questions together with this community, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is our resurrection hope. Jesus' new life meant something for every life, no matter how much that life suffered or lived in fear on this side of tomorrow. So let us live in peace. Peace be with you. Amen.